Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Monday, February 15th, 2021, coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered. 43 gutless Republicans vote to acquit Donald Trump in his second impeachment trial, but this still was the most bipartisan impeachment ever. Hmm, we'll talk about that. Also, I'll talk with Reverend Dr. William J. Barber about the Poor People's Campaign's fight for $15 an hour minimum wage. Also, the family of Dejan Kizzy, who was shot and killed by police in L.A., they have filed a $35 million claim against the L.A. County. 
Also, the LAPD is investigating its department after a photo of George Floyd with the words, you take my breath away in a Valentine-like format was caught circulating. Also, Phoenix cops were caught on body cam footage saying they wish they brutalized Black Lives Matter protesters last year. In Virginia, Supreme Court has agreed to hear appeals in cases are seeking to block the removal to, to of a Robert E. Lee, Robert e. Lee statue in Richmond. Plus, I'll speak with rappers Birdman and Benny Boom. Uh, actually, my frat brother was a director about the independent film Tasmanian Devil. Birdman, of course, record label CEO. Benny Boom is, of course, a movie director. Also, we'll chat with author Heather McGee about her latest book, The Sum of Us, What Racism Costs Everyone and How We Can Prosper Together which highlights inequality. Plus, we'll show you video of fans lining up in Harlem to attend a public viewing of the late actress, Cicely Tyson. It is time to bring the funk on Roller Mark Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. evidence laid out video tweets direct quotes from writers house managers could not convince 43 gutless republicans to vote to convict donald trump folks uh, it was of course uh, it took place on saturday the vote that took place uh now it was also marked by some drama when democrats actually led the vote to actually call witnesses and then after a whole bunch of back and forth they were like yeah we're good we're not gonna call witnesses Still makes no sense. But several Republicans did vote to convict Donald Trump. Richard Burr of North Carolina, Mitt Romney of Utah, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, uh, they voted in addition to Susan Collins of, uh, of uh, Maine. Uh, you also had, of course, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. Then, of course, you had uh, the senator from uh, Louisiana. Boy, they're not sitting too well with folks there. They want to move to actually uh, censure him. It just, it, it, it shows you. Again, how uh, utterly crazy it is where uh, they needed 67 votes uh, to convict Donald Trump of, an, of uh, insurrection, inciting the riot or the insurrection. Didn't get it. Now, after the acquittal, Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell spoke about uh, what, it meant, what it meant for the country. But you know what? I'm not going to sit here and waste the damn video showing them because they just went back and forth. And they really, even, But the person who was really embarrassing was that fool McConnell. So he, he stood in front of the cameras, y'all. Uh, he stood in front of the cameras, and, and and what is outlandish was, oh, how Donald Trump was, he did this and he did that, but he tried to hang it on process. What Mitch McConnell said to me that was so so pathetic, if you will, was that <laughs> he literally said that because Donald Trump was no longer president, that's why it was moot, moot. Then he said that it wasn't constitutional. But, but y'all keep in mind, the Senate actually voted 
and they approved it by saying it was constitutional. So even after the Senate voted to say the impeachment trial was constitutional, McConnell stands there then says that it wasn't, but, but, but they've already said it was. Then do I need to remind y'all what happened? The House voted to impeach Trump. McConnell said he would not call the Senate back into session to consider the impeachment. But now you want to stand in front of the cameras on the Senate floor and say, we can't do it since he's no longer president when you were the one who could have changed that. But a little bit later in an interview with Politico, Mitch McConnell said the only thing that he cared about was electability. So he made it clear. I don't give a damn about all that. I'm, try I'm trying to get the Senate back. So I'm not going to vote to convict Donald Trump if that's going to keep me from getting the Senate back. And, and thank goodness, thank goodness, Collins, Murkowski, Sass of Nebraska, Toomey, thank goodness, they voted the right way. Romney, thank goodness that they had enough sense to say, you know what, um, uh, hey, the guy was guilty. Thank goodness you actually had Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana who made it real clear that Trump was guilty. And then you have Burr as well. But, but, but then you have the folks like Senator Lindsey Graham who goes on Fox News and says, oh, because of this, I can guarantee you that it, when Kamala Harris is president, first of all, I'm glad that he's calling this thing forth, that she's going to be the next president of the United States after Joe Biden. I appreciate that, Mitch, uh, Lindsey. He says, oh, I guarantee you that if she becomes president, Republicans, we get back, get back to house. We going to impeach her because she bailed out riders. Do y'all see how small and petty they are? Do, do, do y'all see how they operate here? I keep telling y'all, you cannot trust the 43 Republicans who voted to acquit Donald Trump. They are gutless people. They are people who ran for their lives when these white domestic terrorists took over the Capitol and they didn't even, didn't even have the credibility to hold them accountable. Break it down with our panel. Avis Jones, we Weaver Leadership Strategist, joins us. Gary Chambers, uh, who is running for Congress in Louisiana. Dr. Ava, of course, and, uh, of course, Dr. Julian Mavo, economist, president emerita Bennett College. Um, Avis, it was, it was just quite interesting to, to, to and, and I knew it was going to happen. McConnell gives this grandstanding speech. Oh, and the folks in media, mainstream media, they go, oh, that, that powerful speech that Mitch gave on the floor, it was grossly hypocritical to sit there and just waylay down Trump when you just voted to acquit him. By then saying, well, you know, he, well, he, he could really be held, held, um, held uh, liable. He could, you know, in, 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 uh, in, um, in criminal proceedings.
And then went on to talk about how that they didn't meet the criminal definition of incitement when a Senate impeachment trial is specifically not a criminal proceeding. In fact, the Senate can write its own rules. They can determine high crimes and misdemeanors, whatever they want to call it. It doesn't have to actually fit a criminal statute or definition because it's not a criminal trial. 43 gutless Republicans cannot be trusted with the security of this country. Absolutely not. Uh, you know, if Mitch McConnell had a neck, I would say that he was talking out the side of his neck. But since he is necklace, uh, I guess I can't say that. Uh, but what I will say is that uh, they are spineless. Uh, they are uh, cowardice. Uh, they have made the decision that they will sell their souls, their party, their, their party uh, this democracy to the devil uh, in the form of Donald Trump. They've also said, unfortunately, what has been quite consistent throughout American history, and that is that there is never any major consequence, and sometimes no consequence at all. In fact, arguably, most of the time, no consequence at all when it relates to white violence and white pathology. Uh, this is one thing that has been consistent for centuries in this nation. And as far as many people like to claim we have come with regards to race, the reality is when you see things like this happen in front of the world, for the entire world to see, it is quite clear that we haven't gotten anywhere near as far as a lot of people claim that we have. It was an excuse. It was a way for him to be able to try to have it both ways and try to get some back into the good graces into those donors that have dumped them. But the real deal is uh, they are not standing up against white nationalism and white supremacy, and they're definitely not standing up for this democracy, which they claim uh, to be leaders within. The thing here, uh, Julian, is, um, you know, a cop was killed. Two committed suicide. Another one had his eyes had eye gouged out. Another one lost three fingers. Uh, numerous cops have been dealing with concussions and other injuries. But the law and order crowd didn't give a damn. They basically said, those white folks were there for us. Yeah, we're good. We're past. We'll, we'll, we'll move along. This, this is so egregious, Roland, when you look at the loss of life, the loss of limb, to lose your eyesight behind BS is just egregious. But what's even more egregious is that those folks were in that room. They were in that chamber. They know what happened. They experienced what happened. And apparently, they have such fealty to that man that they basically, it's like, what are you going to look at? The truth or your lying eyes? And, you know, they denied having to get under desks. The person I really want to hear from, Roland, is Mike Pence. Um, I would really love to be a fly on Mike Pence's wall when he's talking to his wife because Trump basically called those people out on Mike Pence, his vice president, who had toadied around him for four years. And um, he didn't even give him the courtesy. He tried to make him break the law, and he did not give him the courtesy of even when the riot was in full force, say, don't hurt Pence, they're, they're shouting. 
hang Pence, hang Pence. And he didn't even have the spine to say anything. These, as you say, is 43, let's not even call them spineless. People who have no integrity, no decency, no commitment to the Constitution. They just don't care. And just for the record, as they talked, they kept making false equivalencies with Black Lives Matter. But when has any protest with Black Lives Matter killed an officer of the law, blinded an officer of the law, maimed an officer of the law? So, you know, they just need to go away. Gary, it is, um, it, it is really comical, frankly, uh, to listen to any Republican defend the madness of Donald Trump, um, to listen to them whine and complain, oh, we need to move along. <laughs> and But it's also frustrating to listen to Democrats. And I had a lot of people telling me I was wrong on Saturday when I called out the Democrats. Because I'm sorry, what, what's the whole point of having a vote to call witnesses? Then you punk out and just say, well, we're going to issue the statement. Uh, we'll just read it, re just put it into the public record. And then they say, well, this was going to drag along and it was never going to convince any Republicans. I could have told your ass before it, the first impeachment <laughs> last year that you were not going to get votes. In fact, let me remind people, in the history of the United States, we've now had four impeachments. Three presidents have been impeached by the House. Three. Donald Trump impeached twice. In the four impeachments in American history, there's never been a conviction. This impeachment, Saturday, drew the most votes of the opposing party. Seven. You've never gotten close to 67. So, even if you didn't call witnesses, to me, you still put them on the record. You still have them testify before the American people and you still have them sit there and have that Republican congresswoman sit there and you force Kevin McCarthy to come and testify. You force Kelly uh, Conway to say, talk about the phone call you made to Donald Trump to send in the National Guard. You force them to do that. That folk is why you do it. That's why you do it. Uh, Gary, go ahead. You know, I'd have to agree with you 100%, Roland. You know, when we look at uh, this country, it's not just Republicans that, that are failing us, but mediocre Democrats, uh, Democrats who don't have the courage to stand up uh, and speak truth to power. I'm blown away that a senator from Louisiana voted for it, uh, but glad that he did. But we need to remember that John Kennedy is up for re-election in two years, and we need to send him home uh, with his homeboy, Trump. Now, 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 of course, Kennedy voted to acquit. He did. He did. He voted to acquit Trump. Uh, and we need to remember that vote and send him home in two years uh, when he decides to run for re-election. Uh, it is never a shock to me that white men give white men a pass when they break the law. Uh, we all know that if the, four, if the third president uh, to be impeached had been Barack Obama, uh, he would have been convicted by a Republican Senate. Uh, the truth is, you know, we have got to 
absolutely put people on the record. I have fought for issues like that on a local level and, and had pushback, right? Because people feel like, well, it's not going to matter. It matters to put it on the record so that it will remain in history forever. And there is no greater document than the documents that come from the halls of Congress. Uh, and, and bringing those people before the American people and allowing them to say out of their own mouth, not read it in a news report, not read it uh, or hear about it on CNN or Roland Martin, but to find out from the people, from the horse's mouth, as they say, what took place with Donald Trump. Because apparently some people still don't believe it. And the way that you ensure that there is never a question about what happened is you put it on the record. The, the the thing here that 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 people have to really be, begin to understand is that what Republicans have said here, Avis, is that man, whatever Trump wants, we fine. It don't matter. He can say and do whatever he wants to do. We're good with it. And I need people to I need people to stop saying that they are scared of Donald Trump's base. No, they're not. They are embracing the racism. They are embracing the bigotry. They are embracing everything that has to do with uh, these folks. That's what they're doing. Absolutely. This allows them to uh, do what they have been doing, quite frankly, for years, but just now in a much more open and honest way, right? Uh, they've been playing this Southern strategy, race card type of politics for decades. And uh, so this is nothing new. What Trump has allowed them to do is to be very bold and overt about it. And this is why you have a situation where, you know, you have people giving this crazy wacko QAnon woman green, right? Uh, a standing ovation when, when, you know, when she's having the, the meeting just in front of her Republican caucus and sitting there trying to, and more people really trying to release um, uh, Dick Cheney's daughter from her position in leadership uh, among the Republicans. You know, it, it's like the, the whole Trump cancer has definitely uh, provided a space for this party to finally be what apparently it's been wanting to be for decades. Think about, too, really quickly, that when they had their Republican National Convention, they had no platform. Let's, let's remember, they had no platform. They have no policy planks. The only thing that they promised to do was to do whatever Donald Trump wanted them to do. And it seems as if they are staying true to that creed, even though he has lost the White House, lost the Senate, and has done nothing but lost for things, for the, lost the House, actually, under his first administration, when he was in office. He's done nothing but been a loser to them the entire time. But they continue to follow him down that path, because, as you mentioned, he is singing the song out loud that for years they were, they've been singing behind closed doors. The, the thing here moving forward, um, Julian, is that I, I, I just keep trying to explain to these people. Um, Dems were like, well, hey, let's, let, let's, let's move on because, because if we don't, they're gonna drag this out. Do, do, do I have to remind people Republicans spent 37 days impeaching Donald Trump. Excuse me, impeaching Bill Clinton. 37 days. They spent eight days confirming Amy Coney Barrett for the Supreme Court. This little thing here didn't even last 
two weeks. So all of this, oh, we're going to drag it out. Let, let, me, let me just help all y'all people who were criticizing me. They going to do it anyway. Julian, the Republican Party is going to obstruct the Biden agenda anyway. That you ain't you didn't earn no goodwill with Republicans by ending it on Saturday. No, you didn't. They going they are going to obstruct anyway. Well, you know, my sole disappointment, I think that the Democrats did a really great job. And I adore Jamie Raskin. I think he's brilliant. But my sole disappointment was that they didn't call witnesses. They could have called witnesses. Witnesses would have given texture to this whole thing. And so to sort of blink. At the last minute, after, after having done such a great job of laying everything out, the tweets, the speeches, all of that, I mean, it's, it's, you know, sort of like, where's your spine? But, you know, these Republicans have, um, as you said, they're going to give Trump whatever he wants. They've already started obscuring and blocking the Biden agenda. Um, Nancy Pelosi has said that she's going to send the uh, raise, a, raise a Pay Act. It's called... Yeah, um, Raise the Wage Act of 2021. And they've already talking about they don't want to pass it. Most of those who say that come from southern states that many states, about 26, have a minimum wage that's higher than 725, which is a federal minimum wage. D.C. is 15. Uh, Washington, Seattle is 15. Washington State is 12 and change. So many states do have a higher minimum wage. But the southern states especially, and not only southern, there's some Midwestern too, they're still at 725. Um, and these senators are saying they're going to block it. Now, remember, Biden said when he was running, he supported, you know, the fight for 15. He supported $15 an hour. So this gives these folks an opportunity to clown. But what, you know, I know you have Reverend Barber coming on, and I know he's going to break it down. But... As he puts it, the majority, almost half of all Americans, are living in poverty. Even when the minimum wage goes up, Roland, I mean, it goes up if if it passes. It goes from the 725 to 950 this year, and eventually it gets to 15. But if you look at it, people who are making $11 an hour in 2022, unless they have two earners working full time, full year in the household they're still living below the poverty line. Now, these Republican senators have constituents who are living below the poverty line. So what is wrong with them? And the answer is that that man, 45, has unleashed basically a racial rage uh, with, with these uh, white folks who are poor. And they seem to think that somehow black folks have taken something from them, that the elites have taken something from them. Who's taken something from them is that president and the United States Senate. The point here, Gary, the Republican Party has no plans to cooperate with Democrats. None. We are about to see massive obstruction. So if Democrats want to play ball, you better start playing hardball, not beach ball. It, it is it is absolutely laughable to me that every time a new election passes that we have people who believe that Republicans are going to start working together. Uh, the sister gave it, it, the facts as it is. You know, the worst states in this country are ran by Republicans. 
yet we continue to allow them to run around pretending that they have solutions to America's problems. Uh, Louisiana ranks 50 in the nation, Roland. We rank 45 in health care, 47 in education, 50 in opportunity, and we rank 50 in crime because we rank 50 in opportunity. And our state legislature is ran by Republicans, and we only have one black Democrat that represents us in Congress. So when you want to talk about failing policies, I'm telling you, as someone who lives in the worst state in America, that Republicans are failing the people that they represent. The question is, when do poor white folks wake up the way that Fred Hampton got the uh, white folks in the Appalachian Mountains to see that they're screwing you, too. They're not just screwing us. Don't think that when they decide to not give you a, a, a higher pay that that's just impacting black folks. That's impacting poor white folks, too. You know? And, and, and unless you recognize that these policies don't serve you, you'll continue to vote in a way that doesn't serve you. More importantly, though, when you look at that, you have to recognize that the reason the government takes care of so many people in social services is because Republicans refuse to do the things that help us build a just and equitable economy. Speaking of that, joining us right now is Reverend Dr. William J. Barber. Reverend Barber, to the point Gary just made, the point that Juliana's been talking about as well, what I've been laying out by an agenda, you already see it right now. We're talking about $15 an hour. Here we are trying to have a conversation. You've got all of these Republicans uh, who are saying, oh, the COVID relief bill is too high, we must do means testing. Well, one of the reasons people are sitting here desperate for checks is because many people are broke and you're not paying at least 15 bucks an hour. <laughs> yeah, um, amen. <laughs> but here's, here's the depth of it as well. Um, you know, we've not seen a minimum wage increase, for instance, in nine or 10 years. In 1963, at the March on Washington, black and white people called for the minimum wage to be $2 an hour, which would be $15 today. You look at it through the prism of black people, it took us from zero to 400 years, it took us 400 years to get to 725. Uh, we know right now, Roland, that before COVID, there were 62 million people making less than a living wage. Uh, we know right now that if we raise the living wage immediately to 15, it would lift 50 million people out of poverty and low wage and pump 300 and some odd billion dollars, over $360 billion into the economy. We know that corporations and banks got everything they wanted in COVID and some things they didn't, over $6 trillion. Uh, one time they got over $1.5 trillion overnight that didn't even go through the Congress. Um, but we got a deeper problem. I, I do want to say to my brother, it's not poor white people. That's not what the data is. Middle class and high middle class white people that are voting Republican. The truth of the matter is from a study we did called Unleashing the Power of, of poor, poor and Low Wealth People, we found that poor white people, like many poor black people, don't vote. And the reason they don't vote is because, number one, they say they never hear their issues. And number two, transportation, they can't get off job. And number three, voter suppression. In this past election, 55% of poor and low wealth people, black and white, voted for Biden-Harris, 55%. Uh, Six million more poor and low wealth people voted this time than in 2016. That's 34 million. But it still means 29 million black people, poor and low wealth people did not vote. The Southern strategy was designed to keep black and poor white people at each other's throat. But what we see today from the data 
is that it was people who make above $60,000 a year that kept Trump in office, that continues to vote for people like McConnell and, and Kennedy, and you mentioned. We actually have an opportunity now, because 70% of Americans want to see a raise in the minimum wage. You know, we have to agree, like Fred Hampton and others and Dr. King was doing, we have to actually go to that community and organize. But here's, here's the, 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 the lick on this. Right now, and some people rolling not going to like what I got to say, Republicans are our problem right now when it comes to 15. Democrats have the House. They have the Senate. In the COVID bill, it and, has... And, and the White House. Huh? And the White House. Get all three. Let's, let's leave Republicans alone. Now, we already know they're going to block it. The question is, are Democrats going to push? And Democrats in the Senate, we were just in West Virginia today challenging Joe Manchin. We had white folk from Fayette County, um, West Virginia, and black folk from Charleston. Because Manchin came out and said he wasn't for 15 being in the bill. He's from West Virginia, where 50% of the workers in West Virginia make less than a living wage. 352,000 people. He's a Democrat. The two Democrats in Arizona are saying, uh, well, we don't know if we're going to support it. The one in Montana. If they all the Democrats have to do is stay together now. Now, now they're saying, well, the parliamentarian may rule against it. Well, first of all, that hasn't happened. So stop saying that and put the case together to make sure the parliamentarian doesn't rule against you. But even if they do, guess what Republicans have done when the parliamentarian ruled against them on tax cuts for the wealthy in, in reconciliation? They voted, they overturned the parliamentarian. All it takes is a simple majority vote to overturn the parliamentarian. It might, in some cases, it may only, we're checking this fact now, it may only take the vice president to do it, one vote. So the question in this moment is whether the Democrats, and we've said this to Schumer, we've said this to Manchin, do not talk to us about racial equity if you will not stay with keeping raising the minimum wage in this bill when it will affect 45% of black workers. 45% of black workers make less than a living wage. Don't talk to us about racial equity if you don't raise the minimum wage, which today is as big as the Civil Rights Act, as big as the Voting Rights Act. It's as big as the New Deal. And that's the thing we have to be talking about in this moment. The people who have suffered the most in COVID are poor and low-wealth workers who went to work first, who got infected first, who got sick first, who, who died first. We've said it to the Black Caucus. It ought to be number one. We're not voting for nothing if you don't keep 15 in this bill. It's 400 years too late. 400 years too late. And right now, the issue is not what Republicans are going to do, because we know what they're going to do. The question is, is the Democratic Caucus that ran in this past election declaring that they were going to do three things if they didn't do anything else? They were going to raise the minimum wage to 15. They were going to address systemic racism. And they were going to expand health care. Now you have the power. And the question is whether you're going to pay hardball for justice or whether you're going to be more interested in compromising with Republicans who will never compromise with you or are you going to be more interested in doing what's right by the people. That's the question before us right now. And that's where, frankly, uh, the challenge comes in when it comes to uh, how do you mobilize and organize folks, and that's and, and that's what y'all are doing there when you lay out right there. Mobilize, organize, register, educate. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. That's why today I would have been in West Virginia, bro. And, you know, I told you I was going except for the ice, but we're going back again. We had thousands of people on, black, white, brown, all together, putting pressure. I was told, well, you may not want to go down and put pressure on Manchin. Why? Why not? They said, well, he's not like McConnell. Well, prove it. You, 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 see, that, that, you, see that, that's the thing that, that, that sort of just drives me crazy, the, the, this notion that, well... Just, just don't say nothing, you know. It, I, I, had, I had some black people literally ask me, you know, when, uh, when I was p posting um, Where's Nancy? Uh, because I sat there and I watched Speaker Pelosi. I, I, she on MSNBC three, four, five, six, seven times a week. I see her going on CNN. I was like, well, she don't do no black media. So we sat here and we began to, you know, uh, call the office. You know, not available, not available. Not available, not available, not available. Not. So finally, I was like, was she available in the next week? The next two weeks? The next month? She available in the next two months. So I sent an email last week. Uh, and, 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 and the black girl, the sister who works in the office, you know, mm -hmm. and, and she said, well, she's not available. I said, well, I said, well, give me a date she available. Mm -hmm. I'm still waiting. When I called Joe Madison, he said, man, he said, I've been trying to get on for years. He said, I'll stand right here with you. So I put that on social media as well. And so he mentioned the next day, well, I guess her folk were listening because they immediately called Joe and she had, had her on his show uh, a couple days later. Uh, and he said, Roland, she would not she would never came on my show. It wasn't for you starting this whole deal. And so it's the same thing. Why in the hell, am I, why am I going to be afraid to say, Nancy, you ain't the speaker without black votes. You don't get to benefit from the black caucus having the largest caucus on the Democratic side, and you only talk to white media. She don't do no syndicated black radio shows. I can't tell you when last time she did Steve Harvey, Ricky Smiley. Uh, I can go down the whole line. So my deal is, yeah, I'm going to sit and call you out and demand. You, we, folk have got to be willing to say just because there's a D at the end of your name don't mean I don't get to say anything. No. When you in power, we target who's in power. We target who's in power. And you have to, and, and, and the Black Caucus has to say that to folk. We have to say, for instance, right now, it bothers me when people say, we're going to address racial equity and we're going to deal with prison reform and police reform. Okay, yes, we have to do that. But that's yes. not race equity. That's a part of race equity. That's a part of it. That's right. That's exactly right. Because people are dying. If you want to deal with death, not only are people dying because cops are killing them, putting their knees on them, lynching them on the street by knee, people are dying from the lack of health care, dying from the lack of income. So let's deal with the issues, but don't put us in a look. We're going to just do this, and we're going to walk away from this. I, I said to members of the Black Caucus and, and uh, that 61% of Black people, Roland, are poor and low wealth today. That's 26 million black people. That, that's 60, that has to be a number one issue. And so when it comes to this COVID bill, no African-American should say to, 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 to Senator um, uh, 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 um, Schumer or any of them, well, okay, we'll take COVID if it doesn't have $15 a minimum wage. And we'll wait till we can do it a standalone. If you go to a standalone bill, it's going to take a two-thirds. You're not going to get that because then you need all of those Republicans. You know, it's just, a, it, we can't be, 
be fooled on this stuff. We got an opportunity to do it now. It needs to be done now. And guess what? It's beneficial. The Economic Policy Institute says if we do it, it will actually speed up how quick people are able to come out of poverty and out of this COVID recession. Somebody said it'll cost a million jobs. You know what the truth is, Roland? It may cost a million dollars over 10 years, but if you had Julianne on, she could tell you, but the measurement they don't talk about is how many jobs it will create, how many jobs it will create, how many families it will lift, how much money it will pump into the economy. But we have to stop capitulating and saying, well, you know, don't criticize certain people. Yes, we're going to criticize you. And yes, we're going to challenge you, whether you're black or you're white. And white and black people and brown people are going to do it because these are matters of life and death. And I don't know how in the world somebody can justify what, you know, billionaires have made almost a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars since May of last year in the midst of COVID. And yet here we are hedging over whether we can give poor <coughs> low wealth. 15 and a 15 dollars and it's not even going to kick in immediately in the poor people's campaign uh, rolling we want it now but the bill they put in says a little bit now a little bit now a little bit and it'll actually end up being there five years later come on we cannot have that kind of capitulation and i tell you something you talk about who owes people who they owe their rights as i said the, the, the exit polls tell us that one disaggregation we are not doing good enough on and that is that 55% of poor and low wealth people were the determining factor for Biden and Harris and for the Senate returning to Democrats. 55% of poor and low wealth voted. And they voted because they heard, they didn't hear everything they wanted, but they at least heard, if you say if you get elected, you're going to raise the wages, okay, we're going to vote for you. And if they go backwards on this, it will undermine the ability to call people out to vote in mass in the years to come. Because what it boils down to is you are supposed to do what you say you were going to do. Trump does it. Trump did it. Lindsey Graham does it. McConnell does it. One thing we can say about Republicans, the great compliment you can give them is they do what they say they're going to do. Now, it might be bad. <laughs> it might hurt a lot of people. But they do what they say they're going to do. You know, and, and that's always been the case. Roland, let me mention one other thing. I heard you yep, talk go ahead. about Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. On the impeachment thing, you know, people are like, well, they got to pass. You know, I just, I'm like you, I read, read. Well, you know, after the Civil War, the national insurrectionists, the, national, the people who committed treason against this country, the people who got hundreds of thousands of people killed on American soil, they got a pass. So this business of giving white people passes even on the most horrible thing is American. It's not all of America, but it certainly is a major point part of, of the American reality. And that's why I agree with you. If, you know, my, my friend Jamie and our sister, God knows they were powerful. But I'm understanding that it was some of the senators that said to them, if you all want these witnesses, we may not vote for them to come. See, because the process was they would have to bring the witnesses and then the Senate would have to vote on each witness. And that some of the folks said, no, we don't want to do that. And every time we don't tell the whole truth, 
we actually inhibit our ability to deal with these issues of justice and racism because we keep going, keep just telling a little bit and then backing up. Mm -hmm. And that's always been the case. That's the sad reality. We always give folk a little, you know, you, you think about it, but it's, I mean, like I said, after the Civil War, the, the former planters, all they had to do was get go somewhere to a justice of the peace, put their hand on the Bible, and swear that they wouldn't do what they did anymore. And they got all their land back and everything. They got a pass. And that's why we're still dealing with racism. I, the point that I consistently make is this here. Um, people keep talking about the next four years. Uh, the reality is... There's no such thing as the next four years because Democrats only have a four-vote majority in the House. That's right. They are tied in the Senate. This thing could all change in 2022. You get everything you can get right now. You use every, you lose every lever of power to get what you want right now. Otherwise, if you sit here and wait, and everybody got to remember, there were a lot of Democrats who said... Let's not accept this criminal justice reform bill under Obama. We can get a better one when Hillary's president. That's what they said. Yep. That's exactly right. They say that, and to keep getting a better one rather than getting the best while you have the vote. In politics, you only have today. You only have the votes you have today. People vote for you to go to work. They don't vote for you to say, well... Let me see if I can get enough people to go along. The bipartisanism is in the people who voted. If you want bipartisanism, you want a mandate, it's the 8 million people that voted for Biden Harris and voted to change the Senate. That's your mandate. It's bipartisanism to, to, is, is the black, white, brown, Republican, Democrats, independents who voted for the ticket. You won. Now that you've won, if we've seen four years of what mean, maniacal folk will do with power, we ought to at least be able to see two years of what good folk will do with power. But if you make the issue more about patting people on the back and being friends and whatnot than doing right by the people, I'm telling you, Doc, I don't even want to see 20... I don't know well, I want to see it, of course. I want to be alive. But I can't imagine what's going to happen in 2022 if Democrats fail on this COVID relief in full. Yep. Because a lot of people, Doc, you know it was hard enough rolling for us, you and I, and others to convince people this time. Yeah. Well, it, it, look, it, 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 it... People this time. Bottom line is, you got to deliver if you want people to return to the polls. as simple as that. And so, last point for you, what do you want uh, our audience to do? We got uh, more than 7,000 folks watching YouTube, Facebook, Periscope. What do you want them to do? I want, first of all, folk to go to the Poor People's Campaign website today, click on our action for today, and send Joe Manchin every letter you can. You can do a question, you can do a call. He needs to understand that his vote is not only going to impact the 50% of West Virginians that will make less than a living wage, but the 62 million folk in America, the 45% of black folk. And he, and he, he can either be the hero or the villain. But he can't straddle the fence. He cannot, and we cannot have him as a Democrat blocking, including, and it's not COVID relief and a living wage. It's COVID relief with a living wage inside of it. Now, lastly, Ron, I need you to know this. There is some temp by people are saying, well, we're going to include a child tax credit. So that should offset where we don't need the 15th. And we're saying, no, 
you need the child tax credit and the 15. It's not either or. It's both and. So go to the Poor People's Campaign website. Join us in our actions. Follow us every moral Monday. And let's put pressure on these senators. And also, you should be putting pressure on the two senators in Arizona, the Democrats in Arizona, and the Democrat in Montana. Those are two, the three pressure points that we need to be pushing hard on and pushing them to do the right thing. Reverend Dr. William J. Barber, we surely appreciate it, sir. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Doc. Thank you. Julian, we'll go to you. The point Dr. Barber was making there is, is, is a critical one because it is what I said consistently during the election. That voting is the end of one process and it's the beginning of another. That when the election is over, you now then take all of that energy that we use with social media and pushing people uh, to, to register and to vote, to then say, now we must mobilize and organize you to drive folk to get the policy initiatives on the local, on the city, the county, the state, and the federal level. No, absolutely, Roland. My line is always voting is not the most you can do, it's the least you can do. After you vote, there's so much more work to do. And the points that Reverend Barber were making are right on time in terms of certainly this minimum wage. It's a necessity. Even when we get to 15, it's going to be 2025 we'll get to 15, that will be $31,000 a year uh, for a full-time, full-year worker. Now, what we're not thinking paying attention to is the fact that many of these low-wage jobs are not full-time, full-year. You know, people might get 30 hours. They might get 26 hours. There's no consistency in any of that, which is why um, there's another piece of legislation called the PRO Act, the preserving the right to organize, that will allow people to join unions. Um, there are lots of exceptions to that right now. Uh, what's his name, who just left the presidency? Um, weakened the National Labor Relations Board. So the PRO Act basically attempts to restrict it. Hmm? Go ahead. But, it, but in any case, the, the challenge here is that we're looking at folks who are indifferent to po poor people. As Reverend Barber said, people made a trillion dollars off COVID. People um, in many, many ways. And so there are people who, they don't care whether COVID is over with or not. The whole, the child cre credit, is a good idea, but it's a good idea that's separate and distinct from this legislation. It was a good idea all along. What COVID has taught us is how vulnerable our children are. When we look at young people haven't been in school, young people depressed, young people haven't had social interaction. So, but, but the child care credit does not fix all that, and the child care credit must be separate from COVID. But this is also why, Gary, you got to have all these organizations who sending out stuff, constant emails or whatever, they got to be also be engaged. That means NAACP. What specifically are you telling people to do? Who should they be calling? What should they be advocating for? National Urban League, National Action Network. I can go down the line. Organizational power, what are you doing? What are you telling people to do? We do it on this show right here. But we're saying this is the pressure point, having Dr. Barbara on saying go here. Because that ain't happening on MSNBC. That's not happening on CNN. They're getting caught up in the whole process deal, and you're getting stuck on that, and that's actually not speaking to exactly what is going on. Our people have got to understand that, look, this is the moment now. We should be saying to the Black Caucus, y'all got 59 votes. 
This all the black caucus do. They got to do this right here. Unless this in the bill, we ain't voting for it. The same thing the Freedom Caucus did. 30-some-odd Freedom Caucus members shut everything down using their 30, their 30 votes. That's how you actually get it done. Okay, the squad. Guess what, y'all? Democrats got a four-vote majority. If all Republicans vote against, the four members of the squad can sit here and change everything. Like, literally. They can say, nah, we ain't moving on that unless it's, unless it's in the... See, this is, this is about, again, using your power. I love what uh, Reverend Barber said, that in politics you only have today. And, Roland, one of the reasons I'm not a member of a bunch of these legacy organizations that you mentioned is because every time I was showing up in my community to speak truth to power, typically they weren't there, or they were counting on who was on their uh, donor list that they were going to piss off if they showed up. Uh, and so I don't care about those types of things. You have to do the work that serves the people uh, while there is still day. Uh, too often we are spending our time spinning our wheels instead of fighting for people, instead of making change, and then spending the time after that blaming somebody else for why you didn't do the job the people elected you to do. The question for us as voters is, how long are we going to be satisfied with mediocre leadership? How long are we going to continue to elect people who don't have the courage to lead? How long are we going to continue to go down the same road? Uh, the definition of insanity is to uh, do the same thing over and over and to expect different results. If we continue to elect the same type of people, we're going to continue to have this conversation. And so if you don't like what you see, we have less than two years now before there's another series of elections that give us the ability to grow power. And the reason Democrats don't grow power by leaps and bounds is because you don't make change by leaps and bounds. When you look at the Tea Party and what Republicans uh, morphed out of the Tea many members of the, the, the Republican delegation now consider themselves to agree with the ideology of what was the Tea Party. That's how we ended up with a Donald Trump presidency to begin with, because the racist bigots that were elected through the Tea Party uh, movement then opened the door that got us Donald Trump. If we began to stick together along policy the same way that they did along policy, you're going to open up a, a, a windfall, I believe, of new bold leadership, and we don't have to agree on everything, but there ought to be some fundamental things that we do agree on that we can accomplish for the people. Avis? Uh, absolutely. You know, it, the thing is, the Democratic Party has a boldness problem. It has a, you know, a, a backbone problem. And, um, you know, the, the reality is that we, they need to be pushed. And so similar to what Dr. Malvo was saying, you know, I think that we need to know that really voting is just the starting gun. It's not the finish line of the race. And there uh, are some key organizations that are doing some work out there to help them work to mobilize people. Black Women's Roundtable, for example, does a great job with that, mo mobilizing people at the state level as well as nationally. Uh, but the bottom line is we need to make sure that our voices are heard not just on election day, but pushing the agenda. And I love the idea of seeing the Congressional Black Caucus actually using their voting block in ways that put pressure on the Democratic Party to do more work in those areas that we know we need to see movement on. You know, what's the use of having power if you don't exert it? So, you know, we need to be bold. We need to be unflinching. We need to be willing to put uh, teeth 
into uh, the actions that are necessary in order to get our agenda passed. Because the reality is, if we don't, it will not happen. It will not happen on its own. We have to pull this country, kicking and screaming, in the direction that it needs to go. We've always done it throughout the centuries, and we have to keep doing it now. Again, uh, what I keep telling folks is you got to be able to stay engaged even after the election. Folks, let's go to a business story. The largest black-owned franchise operator of McDonald's is suing for discrimination. Um, tomorrow, Herb Washington is going to bring a civil rights action to hold McDonald's accountable for racial discrimination and retaliation he says he experienced as a black franchisee. Washington ran 27 McDonald's restaurants in New York, Pennsylvania, and Ohio during his 40 years with the company. But he says McDonald's was trying to drive black franchisees from its system and pressured him to sell several of his stores to white franchisees. Washington will bring his case against McDonald's tomorrow in a two-way video-based news conference. Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr., as well as uh, Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, who chairs the Congressional Black Caucus, will be among the speakers who will be present during the video-based conference, which will take place at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, and we'll be live-streaming that right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, the family of Dazan uh, Kizzy, the 29-year-old black man killed by two L.A. sheriff's deputies last August, has filed a claim with L.A. County. He was initially stopped for biking on the wrong side of the street before officers ultimately unloaded 15 bullets into him. Now the family is seeking $35 million. According to the claim, which alleges L.A. County failed to properly train the deputies that killed uh, Kizzy. Speaking of L.A., the L.A. Police Department has launched an internal investigation after an officer reported that a photo of George Floyd with the words, you take my breath away, in a Valentine-like format was circulated among officers. Police Chief Michael Moore says Saturday that investigators would try to determine how the image may have come into the workplace and who may have been involved. Moore says the officer who made the complaint will be interviewed. Moore said if the probe confirms LAPD officers were circulating the image, people will find my wrath. Mm, we'll see. Uh, and also, officers in Phoenix, Arizona, caught via their own body cameras discussing how they regret not committing any acts of police brutality on Black Lives Matter protesters during arrests in October. According to the Washington Post, three Arizona officers arrested 18 members of Black Lives Matter and stated that they were disappointed that they hadn't trampled the group and doused them in pepper spray. Arizona Police Chief Jerry Williams responded to the matter and called the officers' behavior disrespectful adding their behavior threatened the police department's relationship with the community. It swore to protect and serve. She plans to take swift action in order to discipline the officers as she sees fit. At this time, the chief has not revealed what that discipline may look like. According to the Post, just hours after the body camera footage was released, the Maricopa County Attorney's Office announced that it would dismiss charges against 15 protesters who were arrested on October 17th. The protesters were facing a number of charges, including rioting, aggravated assault, the daily weapon and resisting arrest. Chief Williams says the department will undergo reform in order to prevent another incident like this one from taking place. So, what do you make of all of that, Gary? You got the, the, the you got the lawsuit in LA County, you got the cops sitting here spreading around the image of George Floyd and take my breath away and being here in Arizona. But I, but I think don't they keep saying there these are just a few bad apples? It's amazing how you just keep having Bad apple after bad apple just roll on out. You know, the, the, the part of the quote that we never finish is, a few bad apples for the bunch, right? <laughs> that the whole bunch is probably bad because we never deal with the bad apples that are in there. 
Um, and, and passively going along with racism and bigotry is the same as being uh, an overt racist or a bigot. Uh, what did Dr. King say? He said, it is not uh, the loud ones that he was concerned about, but the silence of his friends, right? The people who uh, say that they support justice and equity and progress, who sit there, receive a text message like that, and don't say, this is unacceptable. It's the people who uh, know that discrimination is happening when you're trying to force somebody to sell their business and, and sit in the room and not say something. It's all of the people along the way that sit and do nothing that allow us to get to these uh, inflection points that we end up discussing because we won't deal with something when it is a small problem or when it is something that could be checked in a way uh, that, that, that just lets people know, you know what, this is unacceptable. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's uh, acceptable, and I'm not going to associate myself with you if that's how you believe. Uh, we don't believe in personal accountability, and therefore we don't have uh, government accountability or uh, workforce accountability or any of these things, because at the end of the day, it's people that run these organizations. And if people allow these things to passively exist, then they will continue to exist uh, and perpetuate racism. The core of all of what you just talked about, Roland, is racism is alive and well in America. Avis. Uh, absolutely. The, the reality is, you know, what other proof do we have to see? I mean, un it's sad to say that this is not new. This is the type of racist behavior that we've seen out of these institutions forever. Uh, you know, what was the number of police officers, for example, that off-duty police officers that they believe participated in that insurrection? You know, how many times have we mentioned on this show about the fact that uh, police off police organizations have been infiltrated by white supremacists? That's kind of clear. Uh, how many studies were done, I remember a couple of years ago, about the Facebook activity uh, of police officers across the country who were doing, uh, putting racist posts on their timelines, uh, after which nothing, nothing substantially happened to most of these people who were engaged in these acts. The reality is that until these institutions start to take racism seriously and start eliminating these people, start firing these people, uh, they are, in essence, condoning that behavior. And since they refuse to do it, the only logical, the only logical assumption is they refuse to do anything about it because that's who they truly are. Julianne. You know, the interesting thing about the Phoenix case, Roland, is that the police chief is a woman. Um, Jerry Williams. And these guys were, we like, they want to go back to the good old days when they could F somebody up and there were no consequences. And they were going on and on about that. Their boss is a woman. In the good old days, you would not have had a woman police chief. So I'm wondering what she's thinking as she listens to this from her own um, employees. I'm, I'm wondering what she's thinking. But, you know, as Avis is right, the, the law enforcement has been out of control as long as there's been law enforcement. There have been people, especially black people, but brown people and in the South, they lynched a couple Jewish people. Uh, but there have been people who have been deemed unworthy of legal protection, more than unworthy of legal protection, basically um, worthy of contempt. So you see cases where, as an example, people are lynched because they had too much money. Um, in one case, a brother was lynched. Then he went, so they, he was lynched because what happened, what had happened was he tried to sell his cotton and the man told him he had to take a lower price than a white man did. He used profanity. All he said was, damn, 
but there was a law in the books in Arkansas that you couldn't, a black person couldn't curse at a white person. So as soon as he left the store, they arrested him for cursing. Now the brother had a, he had it going on. He just went in his pocket and handed them the $15 that was bail. It was $15. A lot of money in 1919. He, he was at the sheriff's office. When he left the sheriff's office, they just, they strung him up. And this is not an unusual story. This is a story of black folks in America. And you're right, uh, Gary, they always want to say, well, you know, what bad apple? But what bad apple spoils the bushel? And we and 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 we know that there are bad apples. There are some of them are above ground, but many of them are underground. The FBI did a study a couple of years ago that showed the connection between these white supremacists and law enforcement. They released the study, but of course, this was during the that man's administration. Nobody did anything. But that data that's in that particular report is very useful to talk about these connections. And we know back in the day, post-Reconstruction, Klan members were the sheriffs. Bottom line here is this here. Uh, we have a fundamental problem in this country when it comes to police. As long as you have people who are living in gross denial, you're not going to see the changes. And anybody out there who continues to suggest that Oh, defund the police is bad. Mm, you, you do know where you have examples where uh, shifting the resources has made a huge uh, deal. And also, by the way, all the people out here who keep saying that, uh, oh my goodness, because of how cops are being treated, is leading to massive retirements like in New York. Good. That means that new jobs are being made available. Oh, what's your bad self? Works for me. Got to go to a break. When we come back, we'll talk to federal statutes in Virginia the Supreme Court, uh, that more right here, Roland Martin Unfiltered. I grew up wanting a lot of activities in my neighborhood that was in close proximity. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Nelson. Hi, this is Cheryl Lee Ralph, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Of 1955 is the first time in a very violent civilization, Western civilization, any sizable group of people started to work to change by insisting we can use nonviolence power to create the change. Gandhi said that nonviolent power, the power of life, is the greatest and most creative force power of the universe. And that if we human beings turn away from conventional wisdom towards using the gift of life, which is ours at birth, we would be surprised what the future of the human race will look like. Carl Payne pretended to be Roland Martin. Holla! Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, the removal of the last standing Confederate statue on Monument Avenue in Richmond will have to wait since the Supreme Court of Virginia has agreed to hear appeals from two groups who want the sculpture of Robert E. Lee to stay. 
After the protesters demanded it be taken down last summer, a circuit court ruled that Governor Ralph Northam could get rid of the mammoth Confederate general statue, but he'd have to wait to allow for an appeal to the higher court. A date has not been set for the hearings, though the governor and the attorney general appear to be committed to removing the symbol of Virginia's racist past. I, it's, it's always amazing to me, Gary, uh, to look at these people who fight uh, to keep these monuments. But these are the same people. They'll fight like hell when it comes to reforming police. They'll fight like hell when it comes to deal with uh, $15 in minimum wage. The reality is uh, this is a desperate attempt to continue to have these symbols of white supremacy uh, in this country. Uh, and in fact, I mean, yesterday I was driving back from uh, um, a respite in the hills of Virginia, and I'm coming in, and they had this uh, the offices of Stonewall Jackson. I'm like, why in the hell would I want to go see the offices of a traitor uh, to the country who's a Confederate general? But again, you, you're Virginia, you're driving on Jefferson Davis Highway. Uh, all of these monuments uh, to these folks who committed treason. You know, it, it's like the people who just stormed the Capitol, right? Uh, people who believe that, you know, uh, racism and bigotry is acceptable and anybody who's pushing against that is un-American. Uh, the truth is, what we know about Robert E. Lee is that he was a brutal man. Uh, that, that he was somebody who should never have been honored. And most of the monuments to honor Robert E. Lee actually appeared during the Civil Rights Movement as a way to intimidate black people uh, and say that we're going to honor our slave-bearing ancestors. Um, and it's just crazy to me, you know? It, and, and, and what's worse is, when you live in a community like I do in Baton Rouge, we don't have... We had a school named after Robert E. Lee for 50 years, and we still, to this day, don't have a single school named after a black person. And if we start talking about naming stuff after black folks, the same racist white folks start saying, well, well, why do we have to name it against some, uh, for somebody black? You know? And it's like, you know, you didn't have a problem with your, your loser grandfather being having a building named after him. You didn't have a problem with your losing uncle having a building named after him. You know, I, I didn't know that America was so fascinated with, with naming stuff after people who lost. <laughs> you know, like, like they were literally losers and hundreds of thousands of people died as a result of this. And we stood here and act like these people were somehow honorable. They were disgusting human beings and we should erase their names from anything of honor in this country. They were white supremacists, though. They were white supremacists. And what, you know, the Robert E. Lee statue that was put up on Monument Avenue. Uh, I think it was the daughters of, the, I don't know, one of those women's groups. But anyway, they basically had the legislature pass something that said in perpetuity that statue would stay there. What they're really doing is clinging to their their racist ancestors and saying we want racism to be a permanent part of what exists in this country. Robert E. Lee, as you say, horrible human being. But I drove down Monument Avenue a couple of years ago, and I was stunned at the size of the statues and how many they were, about who, you know, it's just, it's chilling. In the South, some people still think the South won the Civil War. I kid you not. You mean the uh, lost cause? That, that, yeah. that little theory. And, but, but, Roland, in schools, some people will actually teach that. And I mean, I had to fly down to Atlanta one time because my godchild got a little trouble with the teacher who basically said the South won the war. And I said, well, you know what? Let me go see this woman and see what's up. 
Um, and she was able to retract herself. She was a 26-year-old who didn't know anything. But that's not the point. The point is this mythology is, is repeated and repeated and repeated. And that's how you end up with Confederate flags at our capital. Our country has never said, look, the Confederates lost. They are, as Gary said, they're losers. You know, and, and they were brutal. And they were able to get away with all kind of crimes after re Reconstruction. So why are we honoring them? Lots of these things, Roland, just they weren't relics of the Civil War. They went up post-Reconstruction, like in the 1890s. And the Southern flags that have that Confederate symbol on them, they changed those flags in the 1950s and 60s as a civil rights movement gained momentum. Um, Avis, uh, it, it, it is it is just quite interesting to watch these people uh, at work uh, with their defense, and and again, what what they're what they're so afraid of, they're so afraid as we become a more diverse nation, that we'll just start making our own determination as to what goes on, and say, uh, you know what, your white symbols, they gotta go. Yeah, and they should. You know, I, I spent some time in Germany uh, a couple of years back, and one of the things that I found particularly interesting about that nation was the degree to which uh, they are fervently against any level of celebration of Nazism. Uh, you would not have a statue to Hitler, for example, in Germany. You can't even fly a, a swastika uh, in Germany. You know, they have very strict laws against uh, celebrating any of uh, the atrocities that occurred in that nation around the Holocaust. Yet here in this country, we continue to have this romanticized notion of these people who were brutal, who were murderers, who were traitors against this nation. I mean, there's no other way to interpret what that was. It would be analogous to having Hitler celebrated in Germany. This is what we do when we have a huge monument to a Robert E. Lee, someone who was the head of a revolting force against this nation. He was a traitor and as well as a loser. And so it's really quite interesting. It's really quite interesting that on the heels of having this failed coup attempt, uh, where the Confederate flag, for the first time in history, was able to make its way into the Capitol Rotunda. Here, on the heels of that, we have people fighting to maintain this place of honor for this dishonorable man when it comes to the history of this nation. You know, if the Confederacy would have won the war, then okay, have, have the darn uh, statues. But you lost. But you didn't. <laughs> so he needs to come down. Speaking of uh, these relics of the past uh, and, you know, this whole idea of losing things, I, I could not help but think about poor little Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina. She served as ambassador to the United Nations uh, under Donald Trump. And what I found to be really interesting is that Politico did this uh, big piece on her where they they were, you know, oh, my goodness, where she's disavowing of Donald Trump. She had all these things to say about Donald Trump. I I'm going to read some of those things to you. But, but, I, but I need to remind you what poor little Nikki, what darling Nikki was saying 
just one month ago, really about three weeks ago, regarding the January 6th uprising. Watch this. The actions of the president post-January 6th weren't uh, post-election day were not great. What happened on January 6th was not great. Does he deserve to be impeached? Absolutely not. It's so you'd a vote against impeachment. Yeah, you'd vote against absolutely. impeachment. So absolutely. So that's where you would part ways. You would part, you would part ways with, uh, for instance, Mitt Romney, who will be voting, it sounds like, for impeachment, for, for to, to convict. Well, At least it sounds that way. I don't even think there's a basis for impeachment. I mean, the idea that they're even bringing this up, they didn't even have a hearing in the House. Now they're going to turn around and bring about impeachment, yet they say they're for unity. I mean, they they beat him up before he got into office. They're beating him up after he leaves office. I mean, at some point, I mean, give the man a break. I mean, move on. If you truly are about moving on, move on. The idea that they're going to do impeachment, that's not going to bring our country together. That's only dividing our country. When will you make a decision? The actions of the president post-January. Nikki. I just want to play that one more time because I want everybody listening. I want you to hear exactly what she says. And then I want you to then read what I'm then going to read. The same Nikki Haley. One more time, darling Nikki, talking to Laura Ingram. The actions of the president post-January 6th weren't... Uh, post-election day were not great. What happened on January 6th was not great. Does he deserve to be impeached? Absolutely not. It's so you'd a vote against impeachment. Yeah, you'd vote against absolutely. impeachment. Absolutely. So that's where you would ways, just kick you, you him would out part, the door. You would part ways with, uh, for instance, Mitt Romney, who will be voting, it sounds like, for impeachment, for, for to, to convict. Well, At least it sounds that way. I don't even think there's a basis for impeachment. I mean, the idea that they're even bringing this up, they didn't even have a hearing in the House. Now they're going to turn around and bring about impeachment, yet they say they're for unity. I mean, they, they beat him up before he got into office. They're beating him up after he leaves office. I mean, at some point, I mean, give the man a break. I mean, move on. If you truly are about moving on, move on. The idea that they're going to do impeachment, that's not going to bring our country together. That's only dividing our country. When will you make a decision? The actions of the president oh. post-January 6th weren't... That was, uh, that was Nikki Haley. Yet the folks at Political, y'all, did this uh, big story. Did this big story, big story. Um, and, and, and this was the... Um, let me show you what the what the cover was, okay? Uh, Nikki Haley's Time for Choosing. The 2024 hopeful can't decide who she wants to be, the leader of a post-Trump GOP or a friend to the president who tried to sabotage, democ sabotage democracy. So all of a sudden, she's being quoted, um, Avis, as, oh, Donald Trump was was wrong and, and, and what he did wrong and, and, and we've got to move on and I mean, like all these different things that she had to say about Trump. And I, and I found all of that to be quite interesting. I, 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 I just thought it was just kind of interesting that she decided to, 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 to rip Trump. I, I just, 
Um, she said, quote, never did I think he would spiral out like this, Avis. <laughs> ne never, never did she think that, that he would spiral out of control. Uh, that, that what he, he did was wrong. And she talked about how she reached out to him and, and as a friend and all of these different things. And so now all of a sudden, Nikki Haley, darling Nikki, is on her redemption tour. Now she wants to say he should not run again in 2024. All of those things, nah, boo, we will not forget when you defended every single one of his actions. Sorry, Nikki, that, that one's not gonna fly. No, not at all, Nimrata. Oh, excuse me, Nikki. Um, no, it is not gonna fly. Uh, and, uh, you know, but she is a chameleon, right? She changed, changes her name to become more palatable for white folk. And here she is trying to put herself in a position where uh, she can potentially be seen as a contender to run for president uh, and, in 2024. Uh, let's, not, um, let's not recognize the obvious here. She's trying to run for president. And now she wants to set herself up now as someone who is uh, who is respectable. Uh, forget all the stuff that she did prior to this. Forget all the things that she looked over and looked past before this. Forget all that she didn't do uh, when she was actually in his cabinet. Uh, you know, this is someone who is trying to be very opportunistic at this time. I guess she figures she's used Donald Trump uh, as the best she can, you know, while he was in office. And perhaps she's, she's rolling the dice that by the time we're at a position uh, for primary season for the Republicans, uh, that by that time, perhaps she thinks that he would have done something to sort of uh, undercut his ability to be the kingmaker that uh, ostensibly he is right now. Uh, because with that, she's basically said, I want to be the serious person that's thought of as being, once again, the, the, the traditional Republican. I am going to take up that mantle and trust and believe you're going to see her running for president four years from now. And see, see, Gary, I, I'm not going to be one of those folks who will be like these folks in mainstream media who somehow forget. I, I'm not going to be one to play this little game of Nikki Haley, acting as if she exhibited all of this courage to get Republicans to bring down the state flag when she should have been opposed to the Confederate flag from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But no, she didn't have any guts because all she cared about was winning. It took nine black people to be gunned down in a church for it to come down. So I'm sorry, Nikki. You, you, darling Nikki, you don't, get any, you don't get any credit from me for that. But I don't want to hear nothing she says about Donald Trump right now. Because do we need to remind Nikki Haley what she said about Donald Trump? when she was running for when she was running i mean when when she when she was actually when other people were running i guess she thinks we 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 forgot those comments just like lindsey graham thinks we forgot what he had to say like ted cruz thinks we forgot what he had to say no the redemption tour is not going to work for me gary not going to work sorry right. darling nikki we got a problem we got a problem
And frankly, I can imagine if I was sitting here chewing tobacco, at this point, I would just, just spit out the moment Nikki Haley's name come up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, certainly, I certainly would have to agree with you, brother. Uh, she is high garbage. Uh, I don't have no better way to say it than that. And I'm probably not supposed to say that because I'm running for office, but I'm going to just tell the truth. She you know, not just, not just Nikki Haley, but anybody who worked for Donald Trump that's out here trying to pretend that they're so moral now or trying to distance themselves from him. You had no problem being with your homeboy when he was trashing uh, and calling... Uh, uh, African nation asshole countries. You had no problem with your homeboy when he was banning uh, people from uh, black nations or African nations from coming into this country. You had no problem when he had a Muslim ban while you were the, uh, the, the secretary to the UN. You had no problem when he was locking little children in cages. And so since you had no problem with all of those things, just know that we ain't never gonna forget. We ain't never gonna forget you, nor Ben, nor Mike, nor any of the trash folks who worked for Donald Trump and went along with him for the last four years because that same trash ideology that he had, you have too, because you gave permission for him to do it by running the agencies for this president. And so I don't give, I can't say, I can't say what I was about to say, but I don't care what she does or what they do, I ain't never support none of them, and I hope that our memory is just as long uh, as racism is in this country. Julian, um, what I need people to understand, I need people to understand, like I had some some fool out here, truth seeker, whatever his name is on YouTube, saying enough with the Trump talk. First of all, we talking about Nikki Haley. We ain't discussing Trump. See, what I need the people watching and listening to understand, Julian, is I need them to be aware of the game. See, the game, and listen to, to all y'all folk who are watching, y'all need to understand how mainstream media works. I know how they work. I've seen the game. I've been inside the game. I've watched them play the game. So what they're doing right now, y'all, they are shining up, they are polishing every potential person who is going to run in 2024. And I just need y'all to understand, just, just so y'all understand, um, uh, Anthony, go to my iPad. This is the cover story that's in Politico on Nikki Haley. Wow, this is a long piece. Not done. Ooh. Not done. Wow. Wow. Not done. Oh, yeah. They trying to help sis. Not done. Not done. Not done. Who's her, 
he's scrubbing her up real good. Not done. Not done. This is the same Politico that had the hit piece after hit piece after hit piece on Kamala Harris, Not our current done. vice president. How many words is this piece rolling? Now, I just scroll, scroll for y'all this whole piece on Nikki Haley. What I need everybody watching to understand, you're going to see another 15 of these. You're going to see one of these for Ted Cruz. You're going to see one of these for Josh Hawley. You're going to see one of these as they begin to, you're going to see, oh, a number of these on Mike Pence. And what you're going to see is you're going to see all these pieces on their ideology and their view and their career and how they've changed all of these different things because they want you to actually, all that I scroll, they want you to go through all of that, the baby picture and her parents and all these things because they want you to the people out there who keep saying, why you keep talking about Trump? No, 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 no. I'm discussing your opposition. I'm discussing how they're going to put a Donald Trump and package him as Nikki Haley. See, y'all gotta listen to what they are saying. Nikki now has courage. I played y'all the video of her on Laura Ingram talking about why Trump shouldn't get impeached and if she was in the Senate, she wouldn't vote to impeach. Y'all know why? Because he was still sitting in the Oval. But now that he's not, now they all of a sudden have courage. But I need you to look at the policies that they're advocating. Do stop thinking this is about Donald Trump. No, this is about the agenda of Donald Trump. Julian, go ahead. Now, this is about those people who stormed the Capitol. Their fealty to them, not to Donald Trump. Trump has nothing to do with this. Um, they're trying to humanize these people like Nikki Haley, uh, despite the fact that she showed, I mean, she was horrible in South Carolina, especially towards black people, toward the end when she took the flag down. Now, she didn't take it all the way down, though. She took it off the top and put it on the bottom. So it's still on Capitol grounds. Uh, that was the great compromise after nine people were killed. But these pieces are going to come out, first of all, because, as you say, the mainstream media has an agenda. And they also are all cozying up to whoever they think is going to be Trump-lite. And that's what they're looking for, is Trump-lite. Um, and the baby pictures, I'm sorry. I'm not that interested in your baby pictures, or your parents, for that matter. I'm interested in what you stand for. Why did South Carolina refuse the Medicare extension? Why do they have one of the lowest minimum race wages in the country? Why do they underfund our HBCUs in South Carolina? Don't tell me anything about, you know, you were a cute little kid. So is everybody. Yep. And everybody's over that, too. So, you know, Roland, we're going to, like you said, we're going to see a lot more of this. Um, we're going to see wedges being opened. And what we've seen with Nikki Haley over the years, though, which is really important, this woman has played it not both ways, but 10 ways Got since uh, she went to the UN ambassador slot. 
sucking up to Trump on one minute, talking about him or distancing herself on the other. Anybody who forgets that basically uh, ought to be shamed. I got you. Folks, again, just letting y'all know, be prepared. It's going to be a whole bunch of that. All right, folks, there's a new movie that's coming out, uh, and it, of course, uh, is called The Tasmanian Devil. Uh, Birdman has teamed up with uh, Benny Boom, uh, my fat brother and executive director of the film, as well as a director uh, on this film. Uh, it spotlights a Nigerian immigrant struggling to find a balance between his desire to join a college frat and bonding with his estranged father, who is a strict pastor at a local church. Uh, have y'all got the uh, trailer for Go ahead and roll it, please. Careful of what you allow in your spirit, Dio. Especially in America. Yeah. Look at our planet, I have my hand in. Look at our got it lagging up. Dio got accepted into university. He wants to come and live with you. From Nigeria, right? What's your GPA? He's got a 4.0. What? Are you serious? Dio, right? Nice to meet you. Pastor son? It is your mission to serve God. This I just wanna strut and get riding through Atlanta when I got a bandage. I just take the 85 to Africa. Why are you listening to this vulgar music? Are you a garage boy? Early in the morning, in the morning, I will rise and praise the Lord. In the morning, open your mouth, early in the morning. You weak, bro. Seem cool to me, bro. Nah, bro, he's not. You trying to get down, bro? I'm not sure. You not sure? You are filled with a rebellious spirit. Are you for real? Some crazy-ass devils just been released. Oh, you need to be more careful. You can't be playing rough with the Americans. We basically paying these to whip our For real, I'm starting to forget the point in this. I'll beat you back to Africa. Oh, really? Hey, Y'all both can get out of my house with that shit. Cold! In my house! You went to join the devil? Don't give me that nonsense. That is on you, not on God. I reject every devilish covenant over your life! I'm calling to tell you I'm sure. All right, joining us right now is Benny Boom, the executive producer of the film, as well as uh, Solomon Onita, who is the director of the film. Gentlemen, glad to have both of you. Uh, Benny, I know you are alpha. Uh, Solomon, you in the frat? Yeah, Alpha Phi Alpha. All right, smart man. Thank goodness you're not you're one, of little, one of those junior groups. So you're one of the, 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 those little youth groups. Uh, and so th this is obviously an interesting angle um, in terms of this, 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 the African influence um, and, and that 
perspective. Uh, and was it was it that the cultural piece for this film, as opposed to his father being a strict preacher, that also gave this uh, a, a different twist, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I think so. For me, you know, uh, when Solomon, when I got the script from Solomon, um, it was it was very important to me that if I tell a film, I tell a story or part of a story that talks about fraternity and pledging and hazing, that it take a different perspective. And this film, man, the, the script just hit me so hard because it not only dealt with um, pledging, but it dealt with that father-son relationship. And I think that's the core of the film that everybody can, can connect with. So whether you went to an HBCU or you pledged a fraternity or sorority, you can connect to Dio's journey in this film. Solomon? Um, yeah, I, I pretty much wanted to show what it was like for... Um, and immigrant culture to like infuse themselves within an African-American fraternity. So uh, I guess the whole point of this was to kind of blend Africa and African-Americans and kind of blend that culture. And what was the base, uh, the basis of the story? Uh, the story came from, I guess, my experience as a first-generation American and then my experience also pledging. Um, it's not my exact story, but as a first-generation American, I've seen many immigrants come to this country and try to assimilate. So um, I just came up with the idea of, like, what if an immigrant, you know, went through this process and how would that be? And you're, and you're from where? Nigeria. Um, uh, I was born in Houston, but I'm first-generation American. Did uh, And actually, Houston has a huge Nigerian population. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. born and raised there, so quite familiar with that. Uh, did, did, did your family quite understand uh, the the history of uh, black fraternities and sororities, uh, or, or was it a foreign concept to them? It was a foreign concept to them. Um, I was I'm, I'm the youngest in my family, as far as my siblings, and so all three of my sisters pledged, AKA, and so when I got to college and I said I want to pledge Alpha, it was kind of old news in my in my household, so it wasn't a big deal as it as it's shown in the movie. But I remember when my oldest sister said that she wanted to pledge, uh, it, you know, it caused some problems within our household because my parents didn't understand it and, you know, they thought it was a cult. <laughs> that's, uh, that's interesting. It's interesting, Benny, because I had a conversation the other day with someone. They were asking me about uh, when uh, I when, when I played, my brother played before I did spring '87. I was spring '89, and and I told him I said I said look, my brother was first generation. We uh, we did not have a, a lot of family members who were in fraternities and sororities. I said so I didn't grow up, but that that was my that was the culture. That wasn't you know everyday living, uh, and so uh, it is if that is not how uh, you grew up, you didn't have aunts and uncles and cousins and others. Uh, you really don't know about that whole world, and so, uh, and I'm quite sure uh, it is an experience for so, so for people uh, watching this film who may who may not realize what that's all about. Yeah, I mean, you know, Roland, I'm kind of the same way as you. I didn't. I learned about Alpha at 16 years old um, in a in a program back in Philadelphia called Fill a Job. No. Person who ran the program was was frat. He had just pledged, I think, in fall '86 or '87. And, um, and and so when I got to college, I already I already knew what I wanted to do. But had I not, you know, it depend, you know, had I not been um, introduced to that at that young age, I'm not sure, you know, what I would have done in terms of 
pledging or not, but I went to I went to school already knowing that I wanted to be an alpha and and all that, but I didn't have anybody in my family that was frat. So it was all it was all very new to me. The um, obviously uh, this film uh, is coming out uh, still in the midst of COVID. And so, uh, Solomon, how do you hope folks uh, will be able to access it? Will it be streaming? Will it be in movie theaters? It's, it's currently streaming on demand. Uh, you can get it on pretty much any platform, Amazon, uh, Google Play, iTunes. It's it's everywhere. Just search Tasmanian Devil and you'll find it. And of course, uh, uh, Benny Birdman came together with, uh, for this movie as well. Uh, so I'm sure y'all are bringing the uh, the music prowess to the marketing of this film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Birdman came through, man. He, you know, the crazy thing is, he was really delighted in the fact that I was taking an interest in a young filmmaker. And uh, aside from him wanting to work with me, we've been friends over 20 years, and he saw the interest that I took in in Solomon and his career and in the movie. It just really, really ignited him and uh, made him get behind this movie 100%. So, you know, he's he was as, as passionate about this as he is about a Little Wayne project or anything else that he does, you know? So we got the music in there, and, and you know, you'll feel it. You'll feel, it'll feel like they were involved, like Cash Money was involved. All right, then. Well, I certainly yeah. appreciate uh, both of you, Solomon and Benny. Thank you so very much. Uh, yes, good, good luck with the film. Yes, Thank sir. you. All right. 06, gentlemen. Yeah, just yeah, just in case y'all may not be able to see that, just in case. Uh, Solomon, how long you been now for Solomon? Ten years. Uh, I played ten. ball ten. All right. Well, this uh, Anthony hit me on a uh, camera four. So this this is what happened when you, when, when you decided to get your own 30th anniversary uh, uh, gift. Uh, and so uh, Anthony is going to zoom in. Uh, uh, which camera, Anthony? Which one we on? Oh, four? Yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, you know, last year was my 30th year, so uh, I don't believe in waiting on any folks to give you gifts, so I just went ahead and said, let me just go ahead and get that myself. So put that uh, put that with that line number and the chapter over there. So that's that, that's how we do it, Pine Macron, Texas A&M. <laughs> So, Roland, check it. This is my 30th right now. So, you know, if you want to give me a gift, <laughs> you, know I was, you know I was a solo. So, you know, it, number one, Cairo, I'm, I, you know, well, April 6th. <laughs> well, well, again, so I, I, like, I, I got my own gift, so I, I didn't wait for somebody to hook me up. Uh, I went, I went ahead, and got, got my own gift. So uh, that, 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 that's how we do it. So uh, let me shout, let me shout out Henry Cooper out of Houston. Uh, he's an Omega, but Henry has, uh, he's a brother. Uh, he, uh, he owns his own company, and so I've been at the Alpha Convention, so I had to go in and hook him up there. Uh, so uh, Solomon Benny, I appreciate it, gentlemen. Thanks a lot. Yes, sir. Thank, Thank you so much. All right, y'all take care. Okay, All right. peace. All right, I'm gonna go back to my panel here. Um, I'm gonna start Gary here. You know, Gary, the thing, um, uh, y'all pull Gary up please, for me, please. The, the thing, the thing that uh, I think was great is, look, I've been, the last with COVID, obviously one night in Miami, Regina King directed. Uh, the other night I saw Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, this film as well. Um, the I saw the FBI MLK documentary, and, and, and one of the things I, I talk all the time about gatekeepers, and how what has happened. What has happened uh, now is that the, the walls have come tumbling down, and so the ability to be able to get direct access to the consumer, I think, is hugely important. Uh, because I think back, I was last night the Equalizer. Um, Deborah Martin Chase is, is executive producer, starring Queen Latifah. Uh, and, and the thing that really jumps out uh, is that again, 
no longer having to solely go through a Hollywood studio system where you can now be independent, where you have, uh, that was a, a brother, he did a film uh, and uh, it was on Netflix and for him it was blown away because because it was on Netflix, it was now seen worldwide. You see what is happening uh, with uh, not just Netflix, but Quayle TV and other outlets, uh, giving black creatives an opportunity to show their wares, to reach their audience, but also to still own and control the product. It, it is so important. It is so critically important. Uh, as someone who's produced a documentary in the past um, and struggled to get that seen by people, you know, the, the capacity to be able uh, to get directly to consumers in mass form is, like, completely game-changing uh, for the industry. It's completely game-changing uh, for so many entrepreneurs out there, whether you're a filmmaker, uh, whether you're somebody who is you know, just benefited from uh, so many people shopping online right now, right? Uh, the, 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 the growth that companies are experiencing, the growth that artists are able to experience through this pandemic uh, is, is important, but it's also uh, a window into the fact that we have got to figure out how to diversify our businesses, make ourselves as nimble as possible, um, and be able to touch people directly, right? get in their pockets, get in their email addresses, get in their uh, text threads, and that's how you touch people uh, because you don't have to check off the boxes of these boards of directors of these organizations that we know uh, don't want to see our talent get shown, don't want to see our artistry or our gifts uh, go and, and flourish. And so uh, God speed to those brothers and all of the people right now who are getting the opportunity to shine. We know that the brilliance of black people has always existed. Now, because of the streaming mechanisms that exist, it's easier for them to get that brilliance into people's homes. Um, and, and the thing is, uh, Julian, uh, Gary mentioned, uh, you know, documentary. And, and, and as a result of having so many far more options, um, we've seen an explosion, if you will, an explosion uh, of uh, documentaries being done because there's an appetite, and not just that, the black consumer uh, consuming more podcasts, things along those lines. And so, I mean, the same thing, the, the success that we actually have, even with this digital show, what is happening is black consumers and others are saying, we're not getting what we want or what we need from MSNBC, from CNN, from Fox News, from ABC, NBC, CBS. Uh, you know, I saw where ABC put this announcement out uh, they're doing this news magazine type show for six weeks. Uh, I got the I got I got the uh, email, and, and the thing that struck me was, it's damn near all entertainment. And I'm like, look, we got enough of that. But again, having the outlets, having the ability to reach far more people, and in this case, as he said, on demand, you can go right to it, and you're not if you. So even if you don't even have HBO or Showtime, you now can access the content. You know, Roland, the thing about COVID that's been fascinating is how nimble, to use Gary's words, people have been. How people have taken this um, medium, the streaming, all of that, and adapted it to their needs and to their programs. The good thing about it, certainly, is that you don't have to go through the gatekeepers. Nobody has to green light your film. The market, supply and demand, will say whether your piece is 
worth watching or not. The word gets out, do people watch it or not? And what are their feedback? So it's, it's an exciting time for entertainment. But let me say this, at, at, this is Black History Month, and I just sit up and crack up at all these mainstream networks who have all these little commercials. It's Black History Month. We celebrate Black people. We celebrate Black excellence. Well, how come they're not on your air? You know, it's... I mean, oh, hold on, hold on. By the way, the commercial that you see on mainstream uh, because they're not doing any ads with black media. Okay, I'm, 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 I don't No, no, you're, you're not seeing... I mean, I can tell you that right now. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's been quite interesting uh, how uh, they're doing, again, so what they are... The, 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 you're seeing how what they're doing is they're driving more of those dollars to mainstream media because now mainstream media now, ooh, black is now profitable, black is now it. That's why you're seeing these, so many other media companies doing target, of doing black targeted content. But I keep explaining to folk, you gotta be real careful over what's black targeted content and black owned content, because there is a difference. And, and, and black creative content, because some of the stuff that these people produce is garbage. I mean, with all due respect, um, or not. I mean, what I, I mean, I'm thinking, where are the documentaries about um, Maggie Lena Walker? I saw that mess on uh, Netflix about Madam C.J. Walker. They took it so out of context. Her great-grand, Alulia Bundles, was said... It, 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 there was no light-skinned, dark-skinned thing going on. They just did that for um, drama. Got but it. There's so many stories. What about Marcus Garvey? How come we can't have a Marcus Garvey documentary? But again, the thing that I keep explaining to folks uh, the, when it comes to resources, uh, Avis, is that when you don't get the advertising dollars, you cannot green light the projects. When you can't green light the projects, then it's not there. And so that's, that, that is one of the fundamental issues uh, that, that we have. When we are frozen out of the media dollars, we do not have the ability to actually build and grow. And for all the people out there who say, man, we need to stop sitting here where my wife was build it yourself again. I said to those very people, are you right now supporting black media? Like, I had a guy the other day, uh, you know, was sitting and talking about how uh, this sister needed to start her own deal. And I asked him, are you a supporter of Roland Martin Unfiltered? He said, no. I said, so your ass freeloading. I said, so you trying to tell somebody they need to start it for free? I said, but the problem is, what's, go what, what, what's going to happen when she starts it, starts it, but then you don't financially support it? So you can't, you, you, you can't, you can't tell folk to start something, but then you don't want to support it, but you'll be sure to use your dollars in supporting somebody else that's not black. Avis, go ahead. That's exactly right. I mean, if we want to have representation, if we want to have institutions that reflect us, that tell our stories, and even our anchor institutions, if we want them to not be dependent on corporate dollars, guess what? That means we need to cough up more dollars, okay? Uh, but the, the overall nature of this particular movie and what it shows to me, once again, is how we are shifting, generally speaking, uh, in terms of our viewer habits. And so if you have the ability and if you have the desire and if you have the creativity uh, to develop your own film, your own show, uh, then we do have, you do have more opportunity really than ever uh, to have to not have to go through the few limited uh, largely white gatekeepers that's related to Hollywood, that's related to the traditional media to get it out there. I myself am working on a current, on a new uh, streaming option for black people myself. And absolutely, fundraising is a challenge. But the bottom line is, uh, that's, if that's what's necessary, it's going to be what's necessary because at the end of the day, it's very important to me that it's authentic, that it reflects our needs, and that it is something that is made by us for us, 
And that's really what we need more of today. Uh, and uh, for folks who say there's no, oh my goodness, you don't, you really have a, a black streaming service. Actually, you do. Uh, I featured the folks called Quayle TV. Uh, yeah. I feature them uh, on uh, my TV One show, and so uh, they're out there. So be sure to check them out. Uh, check out their app uh, if you can, uh, because they are uh, again uh, one of the services out there providing the kind of uh, content. And it's K W E L I TV. All right, folks. Um, we have, of course, uh, every. Actually, I'm going go to a break real quick. I'm going to go to a break. We come back. Uh, we're going to talk with a book author about uh, her book, new book on the issue of race. Uh, so let's do this here. Cube Ali Sadiq. I want to hear what Ali Sadiq had to say. We had we had that clip. So get that clip ready. I want to play that clip. Then we're going to uh, do our celebrity uh, drops, and then we're going to come back. Roller Martin unfiltered. Back in a moment. in my neighborhood that was in close proximity. You know, my mom wasn't always there, so I didn't always have a ride to places. And, you know, you want to be able to walk down the street and get to something that's some food for your soul in your community. You know, you know, I relish, you know, the days of being in Clarksdale, Mississippi, and when I had to go out there and live with my people, they had actually black Hey, what's up? This is Marlon Wayans. No, it's not Kenan. No, or as some of y'all say, click nine. No, it's not Damien. It's really, da it's not Damien, because I do not have a bald head. Um, it's one of the Wayans. It's not Winans, uh, because they have been coming up to you. Hey, how you doing? I love the Winans. There's no BB and no CC in this family. There's Kiki and Damon. So, I am one of the Wayans uh, brothers, or as you may want to call, fraternity population. Uh, there's the Chinese, and then there's the Wayans. We, there's so many of us. Seven Wayans was born during this drop. So, you are watching my man, Roland Martin, who uh, really uh, is swagged out. I want to give a big shout out to my man, Roland Martin, because he inspired the generation. He's the one that got Al Sharpton in the gym doing selfies. He got a <laughs> Reverend Al was like, oh, I see Roland trying to look like he got a little two-pack. I'm going to get him one better. He's the one that got Al doing the one-handed almost push-up <laughs> on the desk. <laughs> so Roland Martin is the inspiration behind that. So be sure to <laughs> tune in and watch. Roland Martin Unfiltered. My next guest, Heather McGee. She is the author of the book, The Sum of Us, What Racism Cost Everyone and How We Can Prosper Together. It highlights the inequality and the lesson that many Americans have failed to learn. Heather, how are you doing? I'm so good. Glad to be with you. So uh, so, so let's, let's break this thing down when you talk about uh, how, again, first of all, there are people who go, okay, look, you keep talking about it you really aren't impacted by racism, you, not really. Yeah, so this book was really aimed at trying to shake America up and say that so many, in fact, truly, virtually all of our biggest challenges, economic inequality, the corruption in our democracy, our inability to fight and tackle climate change is all linked to racism. and. 
really the loss of the American dream, which of course has impacted white, black, and brown, right? 40% of American workers before the pandemic couldn't meet their basic needs with the pay they were taking home. And, and that didn't used to be the case. And so, you know, everyone is asking, what happened? Was it the immigrants' fault? Was it the black folks' fault? You know, that's one answer from the right wing. But what I found in a journey across the country talking to hundreds of people and doing my own economic research was that racism was driving our country's dysfunction at its root. But for the people who say how, they say, well, I don't see it. They say, hell, I don't see it. Well, here's one of the many ways. Take this story that I certainly grew up with that I'm sure you have your own experience with, Roland, that's really at the heart of the book, which is the story of when towns across the country and not just in the South decided to drain their public swimming pools rather than integrate them. Now, we used to have nearly 2,000 grand resort-style pools in this country, and they were built with tax dollars. But when Black people in the 50s and 60s said, hey, those are our tax dollars funding these pools, our children should be able to swim too, what happened? Across the country, Washington State, West Virginia, Ohio, Mississippi, you name it, they decided to back trucks of dirt into their own swimming pools and in so many ways, that's what's happened to our whole country. We used to build things in America. We used to invest in our people. We used to have the government pay for people to go to college. And now that the country is becoming more diverse, we've drained the pool. And it's this zero-sum mentality that the majority of white people have, this idea that progress for us comes at their expense that is undermining American prosperity for everyone. One of the things that, um, on this point, um, when we talk about um, uh, moving forward, is you got to own up to it. And the reality is, uh, you have a Republican Party that simply says that President Joe Biden is wrong for talking about systemic racism. Uh, you constantly had Vice President Mike Pence during the debate with uh, then-Senator Kamala Harris say implicit bias just <coughs> simply uh, isn't real. And so what you have, Heather, is you have a white denial in America about the reality of race. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's truly actually killing us. I mean, this is the issue. So many people don't realize that the last time a white majority voted for a Democrat for president was when Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act. That was it. He was the last... Democratic president to win the white vote. Ever since then, white people have been choosing the party of their race rather than anything that might have to do with their class interest, anything that might have to do with sheer competency. The fact that Donald Trump was able to win the white vote two times and that he was then able to turn around and use this it's not dog whistling, as you know, it's a it's a bullhorn now. Um, use this language, this scapegoating, this demonizing and distrusting of black folks and brown folks to get a coalition of white people to vote for an impeached president who lied to them every day, and then to get so many of them to believe his lie that because he didn't win the white vote, he didn't actually, you know, because, I'm sorry, because Joe Biden didn't win the white vote. He didn't win the election. That is the the depth of the 
the lie that has a stranglehold on the majority of the white population. I'm offering this book, which is is full of stories of everyday Americans of all races. It's full of economic data as an invitation, because I know that Black Lives Matter is the largest social movement in American history, that we have tens of millions of people who took action, and that we have a lot of people who are sitting on the fence, who are white or who are people who are, you know, just have a consciousness where they're not very racially conscious, no matter what their color. And they want to know, can we get to the promised land together? Is it a zero sum? Does progress for people of color, or the fact that people of color are soon to be the majority of the country, what does that mean for people who are not brown and black? Does that mean that we are going to be treated like black people were treated when they were the minority? Right? Let's be real. That is a key question here. And I think it's really important to call out the fact that Black people don't think that it's a zero-sum game. This is a lie that corporate elites have fed to white people generation after generation, that they need to play defense against our progress, even if it means stifling their own progress. Questions from Pam. I'll start with you, Avis Jones-Weaver, for Heather McGee. Hi, Heather. It is wonderful to see you. Congratulations on the book. Um, I would love to be able to get your perspective on this notion of healing. It is mm -hmm. a pet peeve of mine, <laughs> a pet peeve of mine, uh, to continue to see people want to skip over the truth part, right? Skip over the reconciliation part and go straight to healing. Uh, with, mm -hmm. with the research that you've gone through and developed in your book, when it comes to solutions, you know, why, what would you say about this concept that really we just need to forget all that and go straight to healing? If that's not the case, then what should we do instead? So at the end of my book, I do talk about a process that I think could help this country get on the same page so that we can turn it. Let's be very clear here. There is a well-funded infrastructure that is pumping out lies to white people every single day that wants to deny every single part of the truth of American history. And so there is no progress without truth. That is the most important piece. I would say, frankly, there's no such thing as reconciliation in America. Reconciliation means coming back together after you have been pulled apart. Our country was born apart. Our country was born on the lie of the hierarchy of human value. There's no reconciling, right? This is actually a country that needs to be transformed. And so do I think that there is a wound in every American soul from the torture, the rape, the lying, the corruption, the distortion, the projection that white supremacy wreaks on everyone who is anywhere near it? Yes. Do I think that needs to be healed? Yes. And do you know what the first part of healing any doctor would say is? It's the diagnosis. You have to diagnose the problem. So no, there is no skipping over the truth part before you get to the healing. But I agree that there's no, no progress, truly, without a transformation of our people, because this lie that white people are superior to everybody else is old, it serves a purpose, it is sold for profit, and until we uproot it, 
this country will never, ever fulfill its promise. Julianne, your question for Heather McGee. Heather, first of all, congratulations on the book and on your work. I know that was a, a riveting trip around the country to talk to people. I'm interested in what you learned about white people's uh, perception of reparations. I serve on the National African American Reparations Commission. H.R. Uh, 40 is being discussed. Uh, but do you get a resistance, a resistance from white people who say things like, well, I never had any slaves. Well, you know, yeah. you didn't have to. Um, enslaved people built the foundation of this country. But when you talk to people of all races, what are people saying back to you about reparations? Such a good question. Um, because, you know, one person could read at least, you know, the title of my book and say, well, if racism costs everyone, then we shouldn't have any reparations because it doesn't particularly cost black people. Well, I am not sitting here as the descendant of enslaved people and people who were denied housing and education and safety from lynch mobs saying that the ledger is anywhere near equal. And I have a full-throated call for reparations in my, my recommendations in the book. The thing that I hear the most from white people is it's this zero sum, right? A dollar in your pocket means a dollar less in mine. This is the worldview that they've been sold. And so what I think is important to educate people about is that government did the segregating, did the enslaving, did the stripping of wealth. And government, which we all fund and support, should be the one to pay reparations. So there's this idea that like, you know, you, you know, every white person with a black neighbor is gonna suddenly have to go, <laughs> go next door and write there's somebody a check when that is not what is going to happen. And I say going to happen because I do believe it's going to happen. I do believe that you cannot have a society that is built with so much racism in its economic policy. And that is really what I try to drive home in every single chapter of my book. I talk about the financial crisis. I talk about the, our resistance to acting on climate change. I talk about the costs of segregation. I talk about the way racism has been a weapon to divide people from collective bargaining and labor unions. I talk about public education, all of the different ways that racism has held the pen as we have written the laws in this country. And so, of course, we need reparations. I think we also need to say the whole sentence and say who's going to pay for the reparations, and then also talk about, frankly, the benefit, right? We know that the racial economic divides have cost us $16 trillion over the last 20 years, that they cost as much as $2 trillion every single year. You can't have a society where a Black household with somebody who goes to college has less wealth than a white household of somebody who dropped out of high school and not admit that history shows up in your wallet, that no matter how much education and income any individual can have right now, so much of our economic path is determined by decisions that were made before we were born and by the interest on those decisions. So I love that I was able to, in this book, in these conversations and the research that I did really spell out just how much free stuff the government has given to white people to create the white middle class that currently exists today, from the Homestead Act to the GI Bill to you know the subsidization of mortgages and the redlining of mortgages into the 1970s. And so, of course, we have to right that wrong with economic reparations for all of it. And my point is, we will all prosper because of it. 
Um, so you talked about the issue, obviously, of race uh, in this book. So I'm curious to know, did you include uh, this interaction? Get up here and talk about how racist Robert E. Lee was, but I'm going to talk about you, Connie. Sitting over there shopping while we talking about Robert E. Lee. This is a picture of you shopping while we talking about racism and history in this country. Only white members of this group. You should be doing a two box of this. Because you don't give a damn. And it's clear. But I'm going to tell you what the slaves, my ancestors, said about Robert E. Lee, since you don't know history, sister. Let me tell you that they said when he got the plantation, after he got off the field where 27,000 people died at Gettysburg, Connie, Robert E. Lee was a brutal slave master. Not only did when he whooped the slaves, he said, lay it on them hard. After he said, lay it on them hard, he said, put brine on them so it'll burn them. That's what Robert E. Lee did. And you set your arrogant self in here and sit on there shopping while the pain and the hurt of the people of this community is on display because you don't give a damn and you should resign. You should have resigned two years ago when you choked a white man in his house. You should have resigned two weeks ago when you got on TV and said foolishness. And you should walk out of here and resign and never come back because you are the example of racism in this community. You are horrible. Not to the rest of the board. You have an obligation to the people of this community. I take it you wrote about a bunch of lot of Connies in your book, Heather. Uh, Gary Chambers, your question for uh, Heather. <laughs> Heather, uh, do you think that uh, the people that you talk to actually believe uh, the things that they say around, you know, racism not being a big issue, or is it that uh, they know that that narrative benefits them to perpetuate. Well, first of all, Gary, I'm a huge fan, huge booster of yours online. There have been some people that I have called Connie who have crossed me. <laughs> <laughs> we all it's have a whole a Connie. Such righteousness. I'm so supportive of your campaign. I'm so excited. Keep, keep, keep it on. Thank you. You know, I think it's a mix. Um, I think there are a lot of white people who deeply believe the zero sum, deeply believe the idea that progress for people of color is coming at their expense. It's why they, it's why the white majority has never supported the Affordable Care Act, even though white people are the largest group of the uninsured. It's why white people went from supporting the idea of a guaranteed income and a guaranteed job for everyone who wanted one. Two-thirds of white people wanted that for their country, that this is what they should have in 1960. Then the Civil Rights Movement came along in 1964. That support fell in half to just one-third, and it stayed low ever since. So it is clearly an animating principle, this idea that anything that brings us into collective action that would put them shoulder to shoulder with black and brown people is something that they are ambivalent about at best and terrified of and disdainful of at worst. So that is very clear. And I think we can't truly understand our politics even before Donald Trump, obviously, but we can't understand the story of the economic decline in this country, and the economic decline of manufacturing jobs, the economic decline of how the rich are getting richer and everybody else is struggling to stay ahead without understanding how white people turn their backs on the formula that supported a middle class back when it was a white middle class. Do I think that there is some um, 
sense that I'm just trying to downplay racism because I know that that's the good look for me? Yes, absolutely. But I also think the mind is a tricky thing. And I think that if you look at the media that is targeted at white people, you know, our media that is targeted at people of color, the media that's targeted at progressives is all over the place. It says lots of different things in a given day, right? The media that is targeted at white people to make them more conservative is laser focused. It is terrorists for breakfast, criminal immigrants for lunch, and inner city thugs for dinner. Rinse and repeat. Well, that will not change because that is exactly their formula for success, and that's why you see uh, they'll continue what they're doing. Y'all, the book is called The Sum of Us, What Racism Cost Everyone and How We Can Prosper Together by Heather McGee. Heather, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, if y'all want to support what we do here, Roland Martin Unfiltered, please do so by joining our Breen Defunct fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support the show and what we do. Many of you give there on YouTube. We want you to give directly to us via cash app, dollar sign RM Unfiltered, paypal.me forward slash rmartinunfiltered, venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered. Also, Zell, send an email to roland at rolandsmartin.com. You can also send a money order to uh, New Vision Media, Inc., 1625 K Street, Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2000. And six, and so we certainly want you guys to support what we do to have these type of conversations. Avis, Gary, uh, Julian, thanks a bunch. Uh, Y'all heard Heather say that Gary, of course, is running for that special election to replace uh, Cedric Richmond uh, there uh, for Congress. And so, Gary, we appreciate you taking time uh, off the campaign trail for um, joining our panel, folks. Thanks a lot. I shall see y'all tomorrow right here on Rolling Martin Unfiltered. Of course, Claflin, I'm rocking their shirt. So I told y'all, all the HBCUs, uh, I only rock HBCU gear in the show that I've actually spoken to uh, and visited. And so uh, shout out to the folks at Claflin uh, who sent me uh, this uh, cool uh, sweatshirt uh, as well. I wore it before, but uh, it was, uh, uh, they, you know, with President's Day, so they don't have the damn air uh, the air on our building, so it was kind of cold. So this, this is a thick sweatshirt they sent a brother. And so shout out to Claflin. All right, folks, I'll see y'all tomorrow. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.